Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media. It's a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Reese and this evening, back by popular demand, as the draft comes closer, we have to go to the experts. So we bought or brought the number one draft expert in the business. I'm of course talking about Sam Kuyper Jr. Esquire. Sam, welcome back. Thank you for joining the show this evening. Very flattered, very excited to to be back. Although I think if you and Armando posted some some receipts of our group texts about some of the more controversial things I've said about Kansas City, or maybe just the the pro Cincinnati Bengals things that I've said, that that I wouldn't be back by popular demand. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Armando posted these in the group chat. No, I'm saying if you if you guys took oh. these and sent them out to the to the listening community of this podcast, that people would be like, "Oh, this guy is the enemy. He's he's not a guy we want to listen to." I mean, I I don't want to say the Bengals curse has been quelled because I mean, if they be, well, I think until the Bengals win a Super Bowl, I don't think the curse matters as much right now. I'd be curious to hear Armando's take on this, but honestly, uh, honest to goodness, beating the Bengals in the AFC title game feels just about as good as winning that Super Bowl against the Eagles because getting that monkey off our backs was just like massive, massive. Yeah, and and I I mean, I was watching along with you guys as you were live tweeting it in our group chat, and I, I was, it was fun but also a bummer at the end because of course i was you know rooting for chaos but yeah i can imagine that 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 nfc or that afc championship game was just as cathartic as you know any any super bowl would be because of you know what the Bengals have done to kansas city here the past few years oh yeah just like the one question we couldn't solve and always losing in excruciating ways by three. Oh, so stupid okay but he- Speaking of stupid, how stupid would this Super Bowl have been if you got the Bengals? Let's say, let's say, uh, who was who got injured with Higgins? But Higgins is out for the Super Bowl, and they played an alternate reality where the 49ers somehow beat the Eagles. And, but like Brock Purdy still had like the Harry Potter noodle arm thing, so he couldn't like really throw in the Super Bowl. How bad of a game would that have been? I mean, I, I, I love watching Cincy, but even I would say that's, that's a pretty terrible Super Bowl. I mean, you get some of the fun historic uh, connections with the Niners and Bengals having played in Super Bowls before. Mm. So at least there's, there's that, you know, um, who had the Super Bowl this year? What was it? CBS? Uh, no, it was Fox. Wasn't Fox, it? Cause yeah. Olsen mm-hmm. called it. Um, so, I mean, they would get all that old footage of, uh, Joe Montana and be able to put that tape back up, but yeah, that would have been that would have been pretty terrible if if that had gone the other way. I do think a Bengals Eagles game would have been fun. Mm-hmm. Really, the the Niners I think was just especially when when the pride of Ames Iowa got hurt. Um, that it was just it was just not going to be entertaining football if the 49ers made it. Well, so this is an interesting question for you to talk about the 49ers because we'll be talking about the draft again this evening. Uh, do you think Brock Purdy is the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers this year? Man, I, I don't know. And it's 
it's crazy because I know that that we have talked um, on this podcast before and separately about how far apart the AFC and the NFC are in terms of quarterback play. Mm -hmm. But with San Francisco, I truly believe that this is pound for pound the best roster in the NFL. And they're one they're one competent quarterback away from making the Super Bowl. I mean, arguably Brock Purdy. I would say he's a borderline competent quarterback. I wouldn't even say that he's a bonafide competent quarterback and they were a game away. Mm -hmm. So um, ultimately, I don't know. I don't know how uh, the injury lingers. I also don't know if this was a, a case Keenum effect where the 49ers are like, hey, we know who this guy is. Shanahan's system makes all quarterbacks look good. We're not going to put too much stock in one guy um, making a run with this team when we think that we could have done this with uh, the other guys on our roster. And with Jimmy gone, I just think they've invested too much in Trey Lance to just kick the tires on that now. And, and we just haven't seen enough of him. And what we did see last year wasn't great, but you know, playing against the Bears in a monsoon, we can't accurately decide how good Trey Lance is. And I think he's going to get every chance to to be the guy and try to win the job and um, if he doesn't, then I mean, at least you have Purdy there as a potential stopgap emergency. Hey, our season is going down the drain. We got to get somebody in there. Well, so that kind of brings me to my next topic about Trey Lance and, you know, being such a high draft pick as he was. He was what, round one, number five or something like that? Um, I can't remember. He was either five or three. He was a top five pick, I'm pretty sure, because the Niners traded up to go get him. My question about Trey Lance is now we've seen him for two years. And, you know, obviously he got injured last year, so he didn't get the chance to play. But for a guy taken that high, you think you would have seen more from him by now. But in the limited sample size you have seen from him, what's the temperature on Trey Lance out in Ninersville? Do you think they're starting to get a little bit worried if he's a bust? I think they are a little anxious just because, you know, these Super Bowl windows are not open very long. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a franchise quarterback... Even then, it's it's difficult to sustain. Um, and the, the Chiefs have done a great job building around Patrick Mahomes. But, I mean, I remember when Aaron Rodgers won his first Super Bowl with the Packers and, and people were already crowning them as this next new Patriots dynasty. And I was like, can we calm down and remember how hard it is to win on a consistent basis and win championships in the NFL? Mm -hmm. And... With with Lance, I think that there is some panic there because they have a great roster. Yep. But I mean, Trent Williams isn't going to be around forever. He's in his, I assume, his mid thirties, if not a little bit later. Yep. So, you know, just pieces like that. Bosa, he's going to be due a big contract, I imagine. Um, they're just going to have to start paying guys. Guys are going to get older, and if you don't get this quarterback thing right then where does that leave you? Now, maybe if this whole Trey Lance thing doesn't work out, um, they could look at a free agent quarterback next year. Personally, I think that there are a lot of interesting connections between Kirk Cousins and uh, Shanahan. They were together in Washington. I, I think that Kirk would uh, finally get to test, you know, if everything's perfect around Cousins, uh, would he be good enough to win a Super Bowl? Well, San Francisco would be the place to to test that. So they're not they're not in total purgatory here, but they do get set back if if Lance doesn't pan out. Man, 
That's a very good point on Kirk Cousins. I think he'd be very effective in that system out yeah. in San Francisco because I think it's a more refined version of Shanahan's offense than he got to run out in Washington. You know, especially with that roster where he was asked to do way more with way less than he would out in San Francisco now. But I think one thing, last thing I'll talk about is Trey Lance before we jump into the, the real meat and potatoes of this is, uh, you know, I almost feel it's a much smaller sample size, obviously, but what he's doing right now kind of parallels, you know, a draft career, someone like a Zion Williamson in the NBA, where it's just like the fact that he can't stay healthy, the fact that like he can't see the floor or can't see the the field really as a rookie even. And it's kind of like, yo, like, why, why can't you kind of get this into gear? You know, soon it'll be three years into your NFL career before you know it. And you know, you, you usually see some semblance of life at that point. Like, I think even Josh Allen, you know, really kicked into gear after his third year. Lamar Jackson really started being Lamar Jackson in year two. So that's what I'm a little worried about. The injury bug meeting the inconsistent play meets the, okay, so why haven't you been able to put it together and show some signs of life yet? Yeah, and uh, I, I get that to a certain extent. But also, I mean, we talk all the time about how inexperienced rookie quarterbacks can still be helped by uh, sitting for some time. I mean, I think that that absolutely helped with Patrick Mahomes. And I think that that's what Shanahan had in mind when he's like, hey, we're going to get this kid in here and we're going to see what he can do. But we still have Jimmy and we're going to we're going to work it out. But it was pretty clear that last year they planned to do the Patrick Mahomes thing where they said, hey, here is a guy who had some issues that we think we've figured out and he's going to be the starter going forward and that was derailed by an injury that was was tough uh and he still doesn't have the snaps and you are you know what your stats say you are but at the same time I'm willing to cut him a little more slack than a guy like Zion like Zion is doing windmill dunks in in the pregame but is like yeah. oh yeah well I'm just not going to play in the playoff game I don't think Trey Lance is quite to to that point yet he did have a, a really tough gruesome injury and before that they were taking their time with him and he, I think it's hard to remember just how little experience he had at college with I think just one season at at North Dakota State one full season and then maybe some COVID stuff I I can't exactly remember I think he played like a few games in the spring I don't even really remember mm-hmm. COVID is all a, a, a foggy haze for me but I do remember that his snaps were very limited and he needed time. I think a lot like how we talk about Anthony Richardson to sit and develop and an injury that he couldn't help. I'm just not, I'm not ready to quit on Trey Lance quite yet. I think we should give him another shot and and see what he can do. All right. You heard it here, folks. Uh, don't give up on Trey Lance yet, but that's not to say you should draft him in fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, with Armando being gone, uh, I am going to dedicate this Deschutes Fresh Squeeze in my hands to the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he was intercepted by his in-laws this evening, so he will not be able to join us as much as it pains him not to be here because the only thing he loves more than the NFL draft is NFL craft, baby! There you go. All right. So, let's talk quarterbacks. Uh, just transitioning out of the Trey Lance talk here. So talk of the last week has been this rumor that seems like one of those ESPN perpetuated rumors that someone mm-hmm. says like something throwaway and it just starts snowballing and like sooner or later it becomes fact. But a word on the street is the Houston Texans might not be taking a quarterback at their second overall pick. Sam, is that fact or fiction? 
I think it's fiction. I don't buy it. I think it's smoke. You know what? How we're we're a few weeks out, and now we're hearing this. I just I take everything with a grain of salt here before the draft. All these rumors, and I think back. You, you know how good does Mac Jones look in a 49ers uniform? You know exactly. So I, if I'm the Texans, especially if I'm a Texans fan. And I'm sitting there and I've suffered here for the past few years. I've I've suffered with not only bad football, but controversy mired in the Deshaun Watson stuff. That's just really not fun to deal with on a day to day basis as a fan. You know, I I think that I would be so frustrated that when you get the chance to pick a quarterback and there are quarterbacks who I think are going to be solid NFL players and you just say nah you know what we're gonna go and we're gonna accumulate talent but we're still gonna be bad next year and sure maybe if we didn't choke and accident or I guess a reverse choke depending on your point of view and beat (laughs) the Colts at at the end of the season Mm -hmm. um, we wouldn't be in this mess because I you know I I hear that Bryce Young is the guy that they like and they're scared that the Panthers are gonna take him yeah and then there are reports hey the Panthers are definitely gonna take him maybe the Texans should think about trading up and I'm like hmm is that report from someone who lives in Charlotte perhaps Mm -hmm. that's good thinking I was gonna say I mean it's it's even hard to like trace back to like who started this rumor because like my gut said it was Schefter but you know I think it was yeah, but even then, it's like you can't find the source. It's just like more people like regurgitating the same, you know, snippet soundbite. And it's like, wait, where does this even come from? Yeah, I think it's something that Schefter and and I don't know. He he could have had someone tell him that genuinely and, and planted a false flag and Schefter's going to end up looking dumb on draft night. Or maybe Schefter knew and he was just like, hey, I just got to send this out there because that's the job and that's how I maintain these relationships. I don't know. But yep. people have really latched on to it. I've seen like four different mocks where it's Will Anderson or uh, Tyree Wilson, like all, all these different options at, at the number two spot that I'm just very surprised to see the momentum going on just this one rumor. Yeah, that's fair. I, I kind of like the idea of the Texans with uh, Bryce Young just because in terms of his play style, he kind of reminds me a bit of Deshaun Watson, to be honest. Yeah, Deshaun is a little bit more of a natural runner and, and creator after you know a play breaks down. In fact, I would say that was early on, especially where Deshaun Watson thrived and he was actually not super great in structure where I think Stroud is, but both are, are athletic guys. I think that the similarities are maybe a little too close even because Stroud has the same agent as Deshaun Watson. And I think that that front office, that there might be some hesitancy, but then again, you know, this, this agent, uh, he's going to represent other players. You, you can't just ignore the guy. I mean, I, I don't think you can. Maybe they'll they'll prove me wrong. But there are certainly some similarities there that maybe they want to try to to avoid. And that's the reason why they're not interested in Shroud. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I'm not really sure exactly what's going on in, in Houston. It's really interesting with Bryce Young and Deshaun Watson. My big comparison is that like they're both guys that can create on the run and on their feet. They don't panic when the pocket collapses under them. I think there's probably questions coming out into the draft about both of their arm strengths overall. But I do think they're natural throwers enough that they can make those throws at the next level that they need to. 
I mean, I was proven wrong by Deshaun Watson's play prior to his escapades, but you know, maybe yeah. I'll be wrong with Bryce Young. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, and I'm sorry. I, I thought you said CJ Stroud and not Bryce Young. Bryce Young is definitely a guy who can create. He's he's undersized and smaller than than Watson, but um I mean, I'm reading stuff coming out now at the end of this draft process that is describing him as uh, this is Bryce Young as a savant, as a, a very intellectual player who has a high level understanding of NFL concepts already. Mm. So, and I, I do think he has the requisite arm strength to make plays. And I mean, you you know me, I've already talked on this very podcast about how much I like Joe Burrow and if Bryce Young can have the same kind of uh, mental acuity and processing that a guy like Burrow has, he can find a niche. I'm just uh, I, I like everybody anxious because of his size or lack thereof. I get where you're coming from. Uh, speaking of size on that matter, I want to kind of pivot here and talk a little bit about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, two guys that are both kind of seen as pretty boomer bust on you know this draft chart. And I feel that Levis has quietly snuck his way up in the report cards. Do you hear anything about that? As some people have started to move Levis up their board. I actually have dropped him down through the process um, just because the more I, I watched of him this past year. You know, where a guy like Richardson, you can tell that he's still pretty raw because he's had limited experience. Levis has played plenty. Uh, I think he played in 2020 at Penn State. I think he even played in, in 2019 at Penn State. Not extensively because he was playing behind Sean Clifford, but he didn't even beat Clifford out. Yikes. And then he plays in 2021 and he looks pretty good, but it was just so stagnant in 2022. And he didn't really make any any jumps. And sure, the supporting cast wasn't as good, but... I just didn't see progress that I would like to when you're uh, a quarterback with that much experience. I think he was a fifth year senior. You should be further along if you're going to be a, a top build draft pick. Um, but still, he has the size. He has the the arm. He's a mobile enough guy in the pocket. So somebody is going to take a shot with him and, and just hope and pray that he goes the way of Josh Allen, but it's it's a it's a tough bet. You know, I'm considering I've seen some mocks where he falls to around 14 or 15 and people say, hey, the Minnesota Vikings, they could be a team who would look to trade up and, and draft Kirk's successor now since his contract is done next year. And to be honest, I just I don't really like him as much as a prospect. Um and and maybe he still has time to grow. He still has things to figure out. But I'm just I'm just not a huge Will Levis fan. Okay, one last thing on Will Levis, then I got a question for you here. Yeah. But just in talking about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, I know they're both pretty big boomer bust quarterbacks on a lot of people's boards. But with hot take Mondo being out this evening, I feel <laughs> I have to like do my duty yes. and fill in for him as the hot taker of this podcast. So here's my hot take for the day. Anthony Richardson, I think he's pretty terrible, but he has some obvious physical skills. He's a fantastic thrower of the football. I mean, how it's serve an arm, and he's an athletic freak of nature. So is there a world where I can see him suddenly like clicking and putting it together? Yeah, I think that's that's plausible. I don't think it's likely, but it's plausible. But 
Will Levis, after watching him play at Kentucky for the better part of the last two years, if Will Levis pans out, you know what he is? He's just Tim Tebow with a better throwing motion. <laughs> that is a, a pretty fire take, uh, Reese. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. Um, Dude. The. The comp I have um, instead of Tebow with an arm is is more Carson Wentz e. Oh yeah. Um, so so that's kind of the way I I think of him, which also has obviously its drawbacks. Um, but uh, you know I I would I wouldn't give Richardson as bad of odds as you're giving him to pan out. I think that there's more there than immediately meets the eye on tape. And um, if he can if he can figure it out, he's going to be a heck of a player. I think Richardson can be really contingent as to where he winds up going. I think if he Fair. you know if he gets if he gets picked up by one of these you know, like Washington Commander type teams, it's like okay, bye, you're done. You know, see yeah. you in the XFL. But if he can find himself on one of these teams that have like a hot young coach who actually has some empirical evidence, they know what they're doing. Like, I mean, do you think Dan Campbell might pick him up in Detroit? He could, um, you know, the Lions and Seahawks picking back to back the Seahawks at five, the Lions at six would be teams that I think would be good landing spots. I just don't know if they're thinking about that right now, because those are both teams that have multiple first round draft picks that were playoff or borderline playoff teams uh, at the end of the season and have a sufficient quarterback play under contract, maybe they just say, hey, look, we want to go. We want to bolster our defensive fronts. Um, we're going to take the top talent available to us. We're going to take defensive players or guys in the secondary, and we're going to build on that and and try and win in a very winnable NFC. But to your point, you know, as, as much as I think, yeah, Anthony Richardson would look uh, perfect in a Raiders uniform, uh, my my confidence in him panning out plummets if he goes to a place oh my like, gosh like the Raiders dude you got McDaniel there telling him what to do it's like yeah trust me Patriot way yeah uh, what, what do you think what do you think about uh Tennessee what if the Titans go up and get him how do you feel about that uh Richardson yeah mm, you know I that's so hard because I feel that the offense that Vrabel runs is very precise. You know, it's very old school, three yards and a cloud of dust, you know, bit built behind Derrick Henry. And part of why Tannehill's thrived there as opposed to when he was back in Miami is the fact that, like, he's just not asked to do anything. It kind of reminds me of, like, the 49ers offense where it's like, all right, hit this throw. This isn't too hard. And if we can get Derrick Henry to open up a big enough hole after a while, then maybe we'll go for, like, a deep shot with play action or something like that. But I just don't feel like Vrabel's shown anything in his offense that he's the kind of guy that wants to utilize a super athletic, howitzer-armed, you know, physical specimen. Maybe, but maybe Ryan Tannehill was just the best they could do, and now they see hey, we're getting beat routinely by these superhero quarterbacks, whether it's Superman, Patrick Mahomes, or um, I'm trying to think of other DC characters. Obviously, you know, he might not have actual powers, but Batman Joe Burrow has all of the tools in his utility belt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's good. I like that. 
So, you know, if they can find their superhero to, to lead them at the quarterback position, maybe they've kind of said, you know what, Derrick Henry is a running back who's kind of reaching the end of his productive uh, part of his career. We have to adapt or die. So maybe they don't have a choice and, and this is the route that they take. Man, that would probably be one of like the biggest paradigm shifts in an NFL coach at least in recent memory, if not that I can remember, period. That would be such an out-of-left-field surprise. Well, one last quarterback thing I want to ask you about, and then we can move on to what I know you want to be talking about today and will be a big part of our show, but I feel like the guy who is flying under the radar that isn't necessarily getting talked about with the big five in this draft but could potentially have just as high of a ceiling is Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Now, I know he's got the ACL injury, but I mean, that dude, that dude can throw a ball as deep as Josh Allen with like the buttery smooth effortlessness of like a Ray Allen jump shot. It's incredible. Now, with his ACL injury, bring some concerns about his durability and, you know, being age 25, I think, as his rookie year, you know, it's like, would he be too old? But Sam... As a Vikings fan, and as some as we talked about, Kirk Cousins got some void here. You can get rid of him at San Francisco. Do you think there's a realistic shot that the Vikings take their quarterback of the future with Hendon Hooker? I think there's a chance. I, I, I think if the Vic, if I was going to be okay with the Vikings taking Hendon Hooker, it would have to be you know they're trading back. They're they're waiting. They're not going to spend a first-round pick on him. I have a second-round grade on Hooker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have some other reservations, not just the injury history and the age. You know, it it took him a while to get rolling at, at Tennessee. Um, and also, the Tennessee offense scares me to death when talking about quarterbacks. This is related to that Art Bryles-Baylor offense, Um, that puts up huge points and is great for college football, but just doesn't produce guys who can play and process in the NFL. It just, Mm. it does not. And that's, that's Heupel's offense at Tennessee. So I I worry that he's not the guy that, that we see in the college tape, or we have to look closer than just what the stats tell us. Um, Because he he was a Heisman Trophy candidate and his highlight reel is really good. But uh, so was, I I don't know, Corey Coleman. Name name any Baylor player um, during that time because I I just have some real reservations. And yes, he's got a smooth delivery. Uh, it, It seems like he has a natural feel for ball placement a lot of the time. I just don't know if with his injury history, his age, and the uncertainties with his ability to run an NFL-style offense that I'm ready to pull the trigger there and, and draft the Vikings' next franchise quarterback with with a first-round pick. Okay. If you sit in there middle of the second round for your second pick, how do you feel about that? So the problem is that the Vikings don't have a second-round pick. They oh. traded it to acquire TJ Hawkinson. So... Mm. The that's why I, I think the best case scenario for the Vikings is trade down. Um, if if you're not going to make a bold pick, they don't have a lot of draft capital. Accumulate some more picks by by trading down if you can. And I, I would 
if the Vikings don't trade up and surprise a bunch of people and pick a quarterback, which I don't see happening, I would not be surprised at all to see them trade down. Uh, let's move on now and let's talk about uh, the main topic of the day, which is you're very excited to talk about defensive end in this draft. Now, I know it's a pretty loaded position this year, and there's some guys that can be some real standout players almost immediately in the league. So I'm just going to give you the floor, Sam. Uh, where do you want to take this topic? Well, I feel like if you're talking about edge rushers, you have to start with Will Anderson. You know, I mentioned Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson. Those are my my top two guys. I think that's the consensus from most draft folks at the top. And it seems like maybe people are just bored or tired. And now we have some folks saying, well, what about Tyree Wilson? I think he's better than Will Anderson. I just do not agree. I, I think Will Anderson is the guy. He's twitchy. He has powerful, uh, you know, explosive uh, tendencies. His play speed is just great. He's always in the backfield with any tape that I, I put on. He's always making plays, be it in the, the run game, be it in the pass rush. So Will Anderson is the guy who I would say absolutely don't even think about it. If you're if you're the Cardinals at pick three and you say, we don't want to trade. We want to stay put and we want to pick the best player available. And if two quarterbacks have gone before them, I I I sprint to the podium with Will Anderson's name. So so that's the the number one guy. And then uh, behind him, I do like Tyree Wilson. He's a little he's not as refined as Will Anderson. I think he needs to prepare more with his technique and his pass rush plan. Mm -hmm. But he's got the length and he's got the power. Um, He's he's getting better. And he's definitely a guy that that I like there. You know, on the subject of of raw athletes with power, let's talk about Lucas Van Ness, the oh, yeah. the pride of Iowa City. Um, you know, he's a, a guy who didn't start at Iowa, which a lot of people say, well, if he's not starting, then then what's the deal? Well, he played enough snaps to be considered a starter. And yeah. Phil Phil Parker, that's just kind of the way he runs his defense with with seniority and, and giving guys opportunities. And and Van Ness was was still involved and and a key contributor on the defensive side. Again, he needs some help with technique, but I think if you're looking for a guy with twitch and power, this is the guy that, that you want, and he can move inside or outside. So those are kind of the top three guys. Feel free to chime in anywhere there. I also really like Nolan Smith. He's fourth on my board. A departure from those other two guys that we talked about, not necessarily a power guy. His He's, he's still explosive, but he's more of the flexible, you know, speed rusher. I think, I'm trying to think, his 40 time was maybe a Four four a four three wow. nine as a defensive end as an edge rusher. It's impressive. So I, and I mean he's probably technically more of like a like a standing up outside linebacker more so than a like an old school defensive end. Mm -hmm. But I like Nolan Smith too. I, I think if you're looking for speed and flexibility off the edge early, then he's he's the guy you're looking for there. All right. Well, that's a lot to unpack. So why don't we start from the very beginning then and just talk about Will Anderson a little bit more. Now, I know you mentioned his size, and I think I've seen him pegged in at 243 pounds. But honestly, watching his tape and seeing his size, one guy he kind of reminds me a lot of 
is Micah Parsons. And I mean, Micah Parsons has only got about five more pounds on that guy than, you know, Will Anderson has. And we all know what a physical freak that he is. So do you like that comparison of Will Anderson to Micah Parsons? Yeah, I don't mind it. I think Parsons had more experience doing coverage linebacker things. I don't know if Will Anderson is necessarily a guy that I would, you know, say to, to, to roam the middle of the field, but I don't think he's maybe quite as uh, versatile, but I do think that he has, you know, the same kind of upside. I, I just don't really see any flaws. I think that if you're looking for blue chip players, that there are two blue chip players in this draft mm-hmm. and him and Jalen Carter are those two blue chip players. And Jalen Carter has some red flags with his uh, character. So it's Will Anderson. That's the guy who I'm, if if I want the best player available, he is the literal definition of best player available. He's number one on my, my big board. And I, I don't foresee him moving from that slot uh, anytime soon. Man. Those are impressive words. Those are very impressive words. Okay, so one question for you. Let's, let's talk about my boy, uh, pride of the Iowa Hawkeyes, Lucas Van Ness. Yes. Now, I see him slated in the top, usually about three to five of a lot of these lists for defensive end. But our friends at Pro Football Focus have him rated as the 15th best prospect. What do you think of that? They have him 15th as far as positional rankings uh they have him 15th baby edge defender all the way down there at 15 behind keon white of georgia tech uh, you know and, and that might speak to this draft class and may, maybe there's just a bunch of departing opinions um where it, it could be a really weird draft because different organizations value different players across the board and a guy like Van Ness who you know might be valued by uh, one team as the 10th best player in the entire draft might not even be the 15th best player at the position for another so it it's really curious I I think that's way too low for him do I think that there's still a lot of room to grow yeah absolutely he still has some raw tendencies and he he's he's got to figure some stuff out with figuring out how the game works i think he's less about instincts right now and more about i'm gonna play hard i'm gonna be a man uh, on fire out there and i'm gonna work my butt off and hopefully that's enough if he can figure out more of diagnosing plays and understanding concepts and um having a plan as a pass rusher I think that he's going to make a leap that some of these other guys behind him just can't do. It's very possible. I think one thing that PFF might not like about him as well, which we've kind of talked about already, is that he's a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none right now. Uh, as you mentioned, he is kind of just like a Hulk smash type dude right now. And you, But because of that, he's a bit of a Swiss Army knife. You can play him at like a standing, you know, stand-up defensive end. You mm-hmm. just have, you know, play nose down, get to the quarterback. He's I think deceptively good at setting the edge and defending the run. I mean, then there's a lot of highlights of him just like eating dudes lunch. Like I think that game against Northwestern this year, you know, there's a few plays where he just like straight up blew up Skaronsky and he's, you know, this oh, yeah. what the second or third highest rated tackle in this draft. So I think he'll be really interesting to see what becomes of him and how teams utilize him. I think if they try and jam him as like a square peg in a round hole and force him to do one thing, 
I'm not sure I like him developing that way, but I think if a team picks him up and realizes they can utilize him in a lot of different packages and a lot of different looks, I think that's how he's most likely to thrive at the next level. I agree. If, if, if you could pair him, I'm thinking of, you know, if you put him on the 49ers and that's not going to happen because the 49ers don't have the, the a high enough pick to go and get him. Mm-hmm. You're talking about guys who know how to, to use those defensive players, especially along the defensive front. Um, I, I think that I agree that if you're trying to say, hey, you're going to be um, sitting out here on the edge and you're just going to. That, that's that's your job. We're not going to use you as a weapon. We're not going to move you inside, move you around, let you do different things. Then I think you're right that, that it might stagnate his his growth. You want to put him with a creative defensive play caller who's going to utilize his skill set. All right. Well, hey, one guy I want to ask you about the defensive edge position that he's getting some hype but isn't really getting talked about that much is Felix Anadike Uzama from Kansas State. Sure. Uh, do you like him as a prospect or do you think he's going to be kind of more of a developmental guy? I like him as a prospect. I I think that he does have some things that he needs to clean up. You know, he he's not a guy who's as explosive off the snap. He could maybe be a little bit better in the run game, but he plays his butt off. I, I mean, I feel like I'm repeating myself a little bit here, but not necessarily a plan when he starts to pass rush, but man, is his motor running. I think that he is a little more one-dimensional. If you're looking for a guy who's just going to be a power rusher, um, but I, I do think that he can carve out a nice role for himself for some NFL team that's like, hey, we see the power and the energy that you bring, and we're going to give you a shot. Yeah, I think overall, he's my eighth eighth ranked edge and I have a second round grade on him. So I would think that he, he should go fairly high in the, in the second round, maybe middle of the second round um, and would be a, a nice addition for whoever would, would get him. Well, I know kind of here around here in Kansas city, he's one of the guys that people are saying don't sleep on. Maybe the chiefs making a move in the second round to go get him a few reasons. Obvious one, he's a K state dude and the chiefs have a sure. history of kind of, you know, playing nice with K state guys. As you mentioned as well, he's a very high-motor, never-say-die kind of player, which, A, that fits Spagnolo's uh, M.O., but the flip side of that is he's more of a bendy guy than, like, a blow-through-you guy, and as we know, that's the opposite of what Spags usually gets. So I've, I've heard a joke. People have described him as, like, Bendy Karloftis in a sense. Do you <laughs> sure. see him as a realistic possibility to join the Kansas City Chiefs? Do you think the Chiefs would make that move? He could, and I think that your your comp to what you have in Karloftis, I kind of agree with. Now, do you want two of those same guys? I don't know. I personally wouldn't mind having a guy with with more speed and more, you know, flexibility. I I mean, I, I think that he's bendier maybe than Karloftis, but I wouldn't say that he's one of these ultra bendy, flexible guys mm-hmm. um, who are those speed rushers around the edge. I think if you're looking at maybe B.J. Ojolari, he's a little smaller, so I don't think you're getting quite as much heft and power, but he is a guy with much more get-off, and if you're looking for a diverse pass rush, if you're looking for guys who can 
do different things across the defensive line to test opposing offensive lines that um, maybe providing some different skill sets would would maybe be beneficial. But you could certainly do do worse than than Felix. Okay, so here's another one for you then, just for the Kansas City fans out there. I know Armando and I kind of talked about this, but since then, the hype has been kind of slowly building up steam behind the scenes. With the Chiefs acquiring Drew Tranquil at quarterback, there's a lot of talk of maybe moving former Wisconsin linebacker Leo Chennault as more of kind of like a hybrid edge role. A, do you see him thriving in that kind of position in Kansas City? And B, if they do have plans for him to do that, do you see that affecting how they go after a defensive end in this draft? Yeah, maybe. I I think Chanel is probably better situated to play at just at linebacker. I don't necessarily like him as much as an edge rusher. Um, but, you know, if, if they've had a whole season to look at him and they think, hey, maybe there's a spot for him along the edge, um, then they can do that. I don't recall how uh, what... what Chanel's sizes, how how he matches up, uh, you know, compared to other defensive ends. So I would have to maybe look at at some of his measurables. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, if if he could slide in there and and occupy that for them, then maybe uh, that saves them the time of having to look for more help in the draft. What's interesting about him is that he's actually almost one for one sized with TJ Watt. He just has okay. shorter arms. Okay. Well, the arm length does really matter here. So, um, not not saying that he he can't work out, but it it certainly does make it a lot more difficult. I haven't seen a lot of guys with short arms, save for maybe like Everson Griffin, who I'm thinking, who had just the nastiest spin move mm. in in the league there for a while. Yep. But um. I would have to probably watch more Chiefs games closely and see, okay, are they lining Chanel up uh, along the defensive front? Are they giving him a chance to rush the passer? What does that look like? All right. Fair analysis. Fair analysis. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to tie up a few loose ends about this NFL draft, including wide receiver talk and Sam Holly Jr.'s giant surprise for this NFL draft. Stay tuned. end position. I think it's going to be really interesting throughout this draft. Uh, a lot of teams in need of edge, including your Kansas City Chiefs. Be great to pair somebody with Carl Loftus for the next four years, man. Just two wrecking ball buddies on the edge. Now, speaking of players that the Chiefs need, this wide receiver draft class uh, stock has been down on the entire class, and it was also a little bit tepid to begin with. Uh, Most recently, Jackson Smith and Jigba is the only wide receiver in this group right now to be receiving a unanimous first round grade from a lot of teams. Sam, can you give us the forecast on this wide receiver class? What's going on right now? What are teams seeing or not seeing? I think teams are are starting to, you know, dig into the the various flaws and, you know, there's no Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle or Justin Jefferson or there there's arguably that with with JSN but I don't think that he quite reaches to that level and 
I think that there's a worry of, hey, there's no true X. There's no uh, bona fide outside receiver. Now, I said the last time I was on that I thought JSN could be a uh, a guy who plays both inside and outside. But for a lot of these guys, they're just they're they're kind of small. Um, each one has a, a little question mark. And honestly, ranking receivers was really hard for me. I, I moved them around repetitively over and over and I would move one up and then move one down. And it was just difficult to to get a gauge here for kind of the middle um, of this receiver class. So everybody's got kind of a, a red flag. Everybody's got a, a, a wart. Um, it's just trying to to bet on the, the traits of the guys who are here and hoping that you don't screw it up. Yeah, that's what's really difficult about this group is that I've admittedly kind of held my tongue on this, but I've been pretty tepid on this wide receiver group as well. I know you can't judge a book by its cover, and this is extremely hypocritical of me being a big FCS homer as I am. Sure. When I'm just taking a look at your draft board, for example, and you know it's it's not too dissimilar from a lot of other draft boards, give or take a few positions here and there. But I mean, if you're looking here and four through seven on your wide receiver list, you got a guy from TCU, a guy from Boston College, a guy from UNC, and a guy from Cincinnati. Solid programs there, but no blue bloods. And the pattern we've seen for the better part of the last five plus years is you take a one, two, or three from a blue blood, and they're probably going to pan out. Right. So I'm just surprised that you, I mean, I, I, that's pretty telling for me that a lot of the guys you're seeing up here are guys from smaller, you know, less prestigious programs, which tells me maybe this might actually be a down year overall talent wise for the wide receiver class. Yeah, and I I haven't looked ahead to next year as closely. So there could uh, other than Marvin Harrison Jr., who people are already fighting over to to tank for him oh, alongside yeah. Caleb Williams. But it, it's certainly the case that there are a lot of guys here who come from uh, programs that weren't competing, you know, down the line for a national championship or anything. And you know, obviously TCU was. I realized that the TCU played for a national championship, so that's not entirely fair of me to say. <laughs> but they weren't um, a traditional college football power like you know Ohio State or Al- I mean, for a while there at Alabama, it was every year that they had another guy coming in, um, whether it was. Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith or, you know, the Henry Ruggs thing didn't really work out, but uh, was, was still a, a good prospect. So maybe it's just a break here as those programs kind of lock and load. And I think a lot of folks expected Keishon Boutte from LSU to maybe be one of these top receivers. And he just, he he lost himself a lot of money this season, both in his play on the field and uh, his workouts. Did not test super well, did not play super well, um, had some focus issues, some some real head scratchers of, of, of play. So you get those programs like LSU that are known for producing receivers and have a guy who, who people think before the year could be a first round draft pick who just absolutely literally drops the ball. You know, Keishon Boutte is such an interesting one because honest to goodness, until you mentioned him just now, I'm like, Oh, is he like coming back for a senior season? I haven't heard a whole lot of talk about him when he was one of like the big names people were spitting about at the beginning of this season. I know that his play suffered this year. You know, he did definitely did not live up to the hype despite a pretty solid season for first year coach, Brian Kelly down there. 
Do you think any team is going to look to maybe moving up and trying to sneak Keishon Boutte as a reclamation project with high upside in, say, round two or three? Maybe I wouldn't. I have a fourth round grade on him. I, you know, his exit at LSU. Um, so if you were thinking that he was maybe coming back to LSU, mm-hmm. he actually did originally declare that he was returning to the program. That's what I thought. And there was some internal stuff. I'll let you and and um, the listeners Google that for for your own. This is a family friendly podcast. But um, he, I think he was uh, told, "Hey, you don't have a you don't have a place here uh, after some some drama." Oh, so, that's right! I yeah. totally forgot about that. Yeah. So <laughs> he he has the athleticism to to be an NFL guy, um, and, and he he has the skill set. But I just don't know if he's going to become more predictable, become more stable. I'm just not willing to bet on him and what I've seen. And also it's not like he, he blazed at his combine, Mm -hmm. right? So he's, he's uh, sitting at a buck 95. He's shorter than six feet. Yikes. Uh, He's a guy that I think a lot of people are now wondering, is he a slot only player? And he ran a four five, which is okay, but not, you know, a, a blazing time by yeah. any means. So I just, I just would not do it personally. There's too many red flags here. There's too many other players also that I think uh, I would rather have. You know, if you're looking at my my big board, the guys above him, Michael Wilson had a really good Senior Bowl uh, out of Stanford. I would I would think about giving him a shot, even with his injury history over Butte. Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State. If you're looking for kind of a, it's funny, I think of a power slot, a big guy who can operate in the slot, um, much like an Alan Lazard. It just happens to be another Iowa State guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would probably rather have him. And then Nathaniel Dell, right above him, Tank Dell, a guy who uh, I don't think his 40 time was actually that fast, but it looked like it should have been like a Mm 4-2. And he's very, very small, very undersized. But uh, again, I, I'm going to take um, him over Boutte just because I just don't trust the guy. I don't trust the pick, uh, at least not in the first three rounds. All right. That's fair analysis for a guy who's had quite the fall from grace. So my last question for you then about the wide receiver class then. Uh, strictly coming from the Kansas City side of things, the draft is obviously in Kansas City. We're in need of another wide receiver this year. The room's pretty thin. Now, I would like to say we started this on Found City Sports Media, but the concept of the Kansas City Chiefs trading up if uh, Quentin Johnson falls in the draft. But the talk right now is that with the tepidness around the entire wide receiver draft class, all it would take for the Kansas City Chiefs to move ahead of the New York Giants in the draft order would be to trade them their 31st pick and a third round pick for their 25th pick. Uh, Now, as we know, over the last year essentially the Giants and the Chiefs are very amicable you know we got our boy Kadarius Tony as well as I forget the guy we just picked up from them and also Steve Spagnolo got them a Super Bowl ring so do you see it likely that the Kansas City Chiefs see the value in trading up somewhere around pick 25 to get their wide receiver one and if so who do you think that player would be and do you think it is worth that transaction? Right. So, and also, was it Richie James? Is that who signed with with Kansas Richie City James. from yes from the Giants? 
Right. He torched the Vikings secondary in the playoffs because who didn't? Yeah. Um, so in, in my mock, I actually have the Kansas City Chiefs trading up uh, to pick 23 with the Minnesota Vikings. You know, mm. I talked earlier about how I thought the Vikings should trade down. And I did that because the way my mock was going, I had the Chargers trading up for Jordan Addison. I had the Ravens picking Jalen Hyatt, even though they just signed Odell. I think they could use a little more uh, help at the receiver position. Absolutely. Um, and then that got you to pick 23. And the the receiver class starts to look much thinner there if the Chiefs want to go and get a guy. So I had them trading with the Vikings to go up and quit, get Quentin Johnston. Now, Johnston has some concerns, some drop concerns mostly with him is I think why I uh, had him a little lower. Uh, he needs to, f- I think, work on his route running as well. But we, we also mentioned this on the last pod. There aren't many guys in this draft with Quentin Johnston's ability and size to be a t- true X receiver, and he can. So <clears throat> I think that, that Johnston could fit in there. Would that be worth it? You know, it's always a crapshoot, right? He could be Denzel Mims or he could be Justin Jefferson. He could be Jalen Rieger or he could be, you know, perfectly satisfactory Jerry Judy, who you know, is, is fine, but maybe not what was advertised. Mm-hmm. So it it's just incredibly difficult to predict with any of these things. And that is maybe a cautionary tale for not trading up. But at the same time, Kansas city traded up last year and I think it worked for them. They got McDuffie, they got the guy that they wanted. And I think they paid about a similar price to go up and, and do that. So I think that the Johnston, Uh, would be a good fit if I could pick anyone outside of maybe JSN who who's a touch outside their range I might say Jordan Addison just because I think that that he would be a really good fit and and Mahomes would make good use of him basically from day one and he's probably the most polished of those guys but that's probably the way I would lean Man, you know the thing that has me kind of weary about Jordan Addison as well as Zay Flowers is just the fact that it's like do the Chiefs need another sub six foot, under two hundred pounds, speedy wide receiver? Because it feels like that's been like their entire wide receiving room since Patrick Mahomes came to town. Like, right. who's the biggest guy he's had? Like, maybe Albert Wilson or Chris Conley or something like that. Sure. So I, I don't know. That to me is we we kind of saw what happened with the last year of Tyree Kill when you don't have any size in your wide receiver room. And, you know, they, they wound up getting bullied the line of scrimmage. Dudes couldn't find any separation, and it wound up being our undoing in a lot of the games, including the AFC Championship. Mm-hmm. So, you know me. I like my basketball wide receiver room, so to say. Yep. I, I would like to see us maybe, if we made a move for any wide receiver, I would probably want to be Quentin Johnson just because of his pure size and athletic abilities. Uh, I would not want us to trade up, but you already know I'm a little interested in A.T. Perry just to have, you know, a big dude a big target to throw to but at that point it's like if we're gonna get somebody just for size is it more worth it for the chiefs maybe to go for like darnell washington or somebody who's just a you know a giant wide receiver at tight end and could have essentially and eventually be travis kelsey's heir yeah i i'm tempted to mock a tight end to kansas city Um, Every time I do one, just because I think if they have Kelsey still doing his thing for now and you can add a guy who can line up uh, split out from the formation that I think 
that would be great. Unfortunately, Darnell Washington is not that that pass catcher. He's huge. He's athletic. He's great in the run game. But if you want a guy who can just kill you in the seams, I think Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid are the kinds of guys that you should be looking at. Mm-hmm. In particular, Mayer seems like he's falling down a lot of draft boards. And I don't know if, again, people are just bored or uh, it's an issue with the tight end position or if people just forget that the, the tape that Mayer has. He does everything really, really well. And getting him could be really nice for them. I also think if you're looking at the receiver class and you're you're trying to find some more size, I think Cedric Tillman is a guy who I have a second, third borderline grade on uh, out of Tennessee. Again, coming out of a Tennessee offense, I'm a little hesitant, but he's got the size and the skill set to be a, a, a genuine X receiver. Any receiver that you put in this Chiefs offense is going to be elevated because they're playing with Mahomes. It just makes it easier to to justify. And this way, you're not you're not paying a premium to trade up in round one. And you can sit back and say, hey, maybe we want a tackle at the end of round one or a, an edge rusher or maybe a safety. I don't know. After the departure of Juan Thornhill. So they could play their options and then have more guys available later on. I, I think that if you want size, there there are guys that can be there later. In the draft, there's kind of a range. I think Mingo Perry, um, Hutchinson, uh, Rashi Rice, those are some bigger guys with size that you can get later on in kind of the third and fourth middle rounds. All right. Well, I will look forward to seeing what the Chiefs do at the wide receiver position, regardless of how they do it. So we got time to talk about one more thing on this podcast, and I'm very excited to hear your take on this. So every year, it seems like there's always a story in the NFL draft. Sometimes it's irrelevant to the draft, like you got a Laramie Tunsil smoking out of a gas mask hours before the draft starts. Some year you have runs on specific position groups, like everyone's panic withdrawing from banks. Some years you have no quarterbacks drafted at all until almost the end of the first round. Thank you, Kenny Pickett. The list goes on with those kind of things. But regardless, it always seems like there's one big surprise trend or pick of every draft. So, Sam, if you were looking at your crystal ball right now, what would you say that big story everyone's going to talk about from the 2023 NFL draft is going to be? I think... Potentially, the the one thing that people could be talking about at the top is four quarterbacks picked with the first four picks. I don't think that's ever happened in NFL history. It's possible. I don't know how likely that is. I think the Cardinals would have to trade out with a team who was okay picking Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, and then the Colts would have to say, "Hey, we're screwed if we don't if we don't get a quarterback." So we're just going to throw a dart and see what sticks. But in terms of you know, there's always that that surprise, this is the surprise player that uh, a lot of draft folks are scratching their heads saying, really, in the first round? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to stick with the trend. Last year, it was uh, Cole Strange out of, uh, I think, Chattanooga, who went to who went to the Pats in the first round, which I, I like the guy. He was fun. You know, again, we're FCS fans and. I love seeing an FCS guy, especially a, a hog molly up front, go early. Absolutely. So why not keep that going? How about Cody Mock from North Dakota State? 
And if, really? if you haven't seen a picture of Cody Mock, please look it up. Um, it is it is well worth it. He's you know, he comes from FCS royalty. Uh, it's not a great guard class. Uh, you know, Peter Skaronsky, I would say, is obviously uh, kind of alone at the very top. But after that, you have a pretty wide gap uh, between him and, and the next tier of guys. And Mock, he wasn't he wasn't even ranked by a recruiting service out of high school. Um, and, wow. and I think he was uh, a tight end when he first came in and he had all of his teeth. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of things change. So I, I think does he have the, the the length requirements that you like? No. But at, like a lot of these tight end converts, he is a mover mm-hmm. and and very uh, mobile from the interior. He's a really good with his hand technique. Look, I mean, he you you take a look at the guy and you see he's from North Dakota State, and he he is the guy that you think he is. He's a fierce competitor. He's gonna grind, and and I think that someone could say, hey, we want this guy a part of our team and spend a first round draft pick on him. Wow, a team jumping all the way in the first round draft pick for that dude. You know, I do like the parallels to our guy Strange from Chattanooga. He was kind of like a sleeper pick, and it's like, of course, the Patriots of all teams think they're going to outsmart everybody and get him. Yep. And I think yep. he did like what, kind of like fine-ish last year. Yeah, he was solid. I mean, the Patriots were were a mess. It's hard to do yeah. much on offense when your offensive coordinator is not an offensive coordinator. But that's a good point. Uh, you know, North Dakota State's got some guys picked in the last few years as well. Uh, you know, Dylan Redunce mm-hmm. was one of the highest graded left tackles. I think it was, what, the 2021 draft or something like that. So, yeah, if you don't know Cody Mock, look him up, ladies and gentlemen. He's a dude who looks like his name sounds. And, of course, he plays the offensive line position. He's just a big old hoss. I tell you what, I like that as your sexy sleeper story of the 2023 NFL draft. I, I, he, he's a good guy, too. He's, he's a fun interview. Um, friend of the pod, David, joked that, you know, with the long flowing hair and the northern roots, he kind of looked like a Viking. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'd be happy with it if they you know traded back into the second round, accumulated some more picks and then decided to take a shot. But I don't know if he could play center. The Vikings do have a need at center. So so. Who knows? But um, I I do like the guy. And, uh, you know, North Dakota State has to get some players picked in the first round with this northern Iowa supremacy with Trevor Penning going last year and and Spencer Brown going uh, before that. Mm -hmm. So they got to catch the cats in terms of of draft status. Absolutely. Oh, man. You and I always had just like these massive dudes on offensive line. Like, hey, this. This guy's like six foot nine and like 245 pounds lean, but I think we can turn him into a tackle. Should we do it? And like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's just see what happens. Yeah. Oh. And then they're really good players. And then I'm sitting there thinking, there's no, there's no good reason why a program like Nebraska, who has had a bad offensive line that I've had to watch for the past decade or so, yeah. can't can't figure that that science out but here we are well you guys can't figure that out and iowa can't figure out how to get a top 70 offense in college <laughs> so, yeah fair enough that's uh that's our sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill well speaking of which uh this rock's got a roll sam thank you so much for coming to the podcast tonight and giving us more of your fantastic draft insight for 2023 
Absolutely. I'm looking forward to the draft, looking forward to Kansas City getting uh, its showcase, uh, which should be fun, especially as the reigning Super Bowl champs. I, I am expecting a, a fun speech from uh, whoever is the Chiefs guest picker when, when they finally get up. Hey Amen. It's going to be fun to check out. And if you want to hear the latest news on what Kansas City does in the NFL draft or is predicted to do in the NFL draft, check us out on Instagram at Fountain City SM. Follow us, subscribe, like, rate, do everything in your power. And I'll tell you what, we thank you, all of our friends of the podcast. Thanks again, Sam, for joining us on the show. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Have a good night. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media.